Welcome to the Pure Flix Podcast, a show brought to you by PureFlix.com. PureFlix.com, the faith, family, and fun video streaming service. Get ready for uplifting news, scripture, movie reviews, and interviews with some of your favorite actors, authors, and pastors. Let's get started. Hey, what's going on? It's Billy Hollowell, and welcome to the Pure Flix Podcast. Hey, are you guys checking out, and I know I talk about this every week at the beginning of the show, but I have to, the Pure Flix Insider blog. You've got to be reading that every day. There is daily content over there. There's so much good stuff that you want to be checking out. Inspiring Bible verse lists, movie lists, TV show lists, but a lot of interviews that we do. And if you miss them on the podcast, we actually write about them. You get a chance to kind of get some of the most interesting pieces of our interviews here on the podcast. But I got to tell you, we've got some fun pieces right now. We've got one article. It's titled The Seven Fun, Strange, and Interesting Christmas Facts You Might Not know everything from the origins of jingle bells all the way down to where the image of santa that we have comes from to so many other things so you could check that out you also might want to dive deep though we've got some fun theological pieces, who were the shepherds, some amazing details about their role in the nativity. We've got a story about Joseph and Jesus, the lessons we can learn from Jesus's father at Christmas time. So there is a lot over there. I'll let you guys check that out. But I want to dive in today because we have a guest coming on the show. He's a pastor. His name is Robbie Gallaty. He's got a book titled Recovered, How an Accident, Alcohol, and Addiction Led Me to God. And it's a powerful book. Robbie is a well-known pastor um, who has worked with David Platt. He is a megachurch pastor, essentially. And so he's been out there quite a bit, but his personal story, how he came to Jesus, it's crazy. It involves addiction, drug dealing, and so much more. Again, the book is Recovered, How an Accident, Alcohol, and Addiction Led Me to God. We are here to talk with Robbie today. Today. So with no further ado, let's welcome Robbie to the Pure Flix podcast. Hey, Robbie, how's it going today? Going great, man. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming on. You are the senior pastor over at Long Hollow Baptist Church in Tennessee. You are also the author of the new book, Recovered, How an Accident, Alcohol, and Addiction Led Me to God, which is an amazing title and subtitle. It makes you want to know the story, right? And so <laughs> you've got you've got an incredible story. I know that really th this story starts with an accident that you had when you were 22 years old. Take us through that accident and how it changed the trajectory of your life. Yeah, so up to that point, I was, um, I would say I was somewhat religious. I mean, I didn't know the Lord personally, but I was raised uh, Roman Catholic home. I had very good parents. I uh, went to an all-boys Catholic high school, got out of college, went to uh, a Southern Baptist college. I heard the gospel there, but rejected it. Uh, and, and I was uh, out of college at this time. I was bouncing at a bar and bartending. So I was kind of in the world. I was doing MMA fighting on the side. And so I wanted to be in the UFC at that time. You know, that was kind of the life goal. And then I'm coming home from work, November 22nd, 1999. And I didn't ask for this to happen. I didn't want it to happen, but it happened. And I was uh, merging onto the interstate. There was an 18 wheeler in the far right lane of the three lanes on the interstate. I was in the far left lane. And, uh, when the interstate came together, he did not see me in his blind spot. And so he tried to merge over. And when he did his bumper latched onto the rear end of my car and slammed me into the guardrail 
at 65 miles an hour. And so there I was, uh, I, I, my seatbelt locked, my back torqued, and uh, I was in legitimate pain, right? My back was hurting. I herniated two discs in my neck and two discs in my back. And I went to the doctor, and this is real, where everything changed for me. Uh, they sent me home with four things, Oxycontin, Valium, Soma, and Percocet. Wow. And, you know, those listening would say, and I know a lot of people listening have a family member on, on drugs or knows a friend or a neighbor. Most people today, Billy, what's interesting, are starting an addiction or have an addiction because of an accident. Mm. Like they are legitimately in pain, right? Like they, they, they have an injury or a shoulder injury or a knee surgery or a toothache, and they, they take the drugs for pain. But the problem is these drugs nowadays are so addictive that within a few weeks, they become addicted to drugs. And so there I was now taking these drugs every four to six hours for pain. And you know the story, within two to three months, I have this drug addiction where I have this insatiable desire to get high. And that just starts this downward spiral in my life where my life starts to spiral out of control. Did you, did you realize, like while it was happening, did you realize that you were in addiction? You know, I'm, I'm always curious because, and to your point, just to backtrack a little bit, I think it's essential that Christians, that everybody, especially Christians, realize what you just said, that a lot of people are finding themselves in addiction as a result of an injury, right? Which is not something I think everybody yeah. realizes. That's a really important piece of, of the puzzle. But in your own story, as you were sliding into this addiction, were you realizing that it was happening? You know, I, I did and I didn't. And I think that you said a great point I want to just go back to. Years ago, we used to think the drug and opioid problem was a problem of uh, lower, lower income families in inner cities, right? That's not the opioid problem today. Like the opioid crisis today is the neighbor next door, right? It's the family member down the street. And so it affects everybody, all classes of society, all socioeconomic classes, everybody uh, can fall prey to this. And so to answer your question, I, I started to see this trend of needing the drugs. But see, here's the thing about addiction. By the time you realize you're addicted, it's too late. Mm. And by the time you realize it's a problem, you're too far in. It's kind of like sin. I mean, think about sin. Nobody ever sets out when they go into ministry or serving the Lord that they're going to ruin their family, divorce their wife, cheat on their wife, and lose their ministry. Like, nobody sets out to do that, right? but it happens. And we all know guys. I mean, you and I both know guys who, who that's happened to. And I'd like to tell people, and you've heard this before, but sin always takes you further than you want to go, costs you more than you want to pay, and it always keeps you longer than you ever want to stay. And uh, that's what happened to me. It kind of brought me in. And that's why I wrote the book. I wanted to write the book from the perspective of the mind of an addict, a person who started out like most Americans. I had a middle-class, hardworking family. We were an Italian family, so very tight-knit, close family. Uh, I had a college degree, and I didn't, I didn't ask for this to happen, didn't want it to happen. But I walked the reader through in the book just what this life was like of, of going from being sober to drug addict to coming off of drugs, going back to rehab, off of drugs, relapsing. You know, it's just kind of this long road to finally come to Christ. But that's why I wrote the book. I wanted people to be brought into that mindset to see what it was like. 
Yeah, and it's so important to hear from people who have gone through it. And I think right now, I was looking at some numbers, and I and I may have the years wrong, but it was like I think it was the year two thousand and one. There were about sixteen thousand five hundred, I believe, around there between sixteen and seventeen thousand overdose deaths. And in twenty seventeen or twenty eighteen, that number was at like seventy thousand. So we are dealing with, and those are just the deaths, right? Which is the worst thing that could happen you think about all of the other people who are in addiction, this is something that people are dealing with. So to hear from somebody who not only went through this, but overcame it and is now a pastor, I think is incredibly powerful. And so it's it's a huge blessing that you've talked about this in your book, Recovered. Um, but let's, let's talk about the part of your story. Now, you find yourself in addiction, and you find yourself stealing $15,000 from your parents, right? Um, what what took you because you came from this good family you guys are tight knit you're having you know sunday dinners together you're going to church together you find yourself in addiction you take this money what was going through your mind at that time yeah i mean that's that's a pivotal part of of my story is uh the addiction was so overwhelming that we we couldn't pay the bills anymore and so uh, the bill collector started to call and then eventually they turned off the gas in my house. So we live without gas, electricity, and water for about, uh, two and a half months. And, uh, we, we mastered the art of the cold shower, which basically is we got into freezing cold water, lathered up, got out, uh, and did this for about three months because we were more interested in getting high than paying the bills. It got so bad, Billy, that I literally pawned everything in my home except – this is funny. I talk about this in the book. I pawned everything except the wall unit that gave us the air conditioning and heat, which was a little bit we had, although it didn't work, uh, and the mattress. And, and I tried to pawn those two things, but they wouldn't take it. So that's how bad it got. And So I you lost everything. Do. I mean, you lost literally everything. In this addiction. Man, I lost everything. I'm telling you, we lost everything. And, and when you so say we, when you say we, who else was with you in the uh, during that time? Yeah, I say we. So my roommate at the time, who uh, was a close friend of mine, I had a group of guys I was hanging with. And, and what's really crazy about the drug addiction was, at first we were selling drugs, and I'm not trying to glamorize this because it's not something I'm proud of. But the reality is, we were selling drugs, and we were making a lot of money in the beginning. And that's how most addictions start out. But the problem is we started to dip into our own supply. <laughs> There's kind of an unwritten rule in the drug world. Uh, never take from you or never smoke your own supply, you know, never take from your own supply because then what happens is you can't, you can't get beyond that. And so your addiction outweighs your habit uh, and you can't sell enough. And so we lost everything. And so I pawned everything and I got to the place where I didn't know what to do. So I, I took my dad's credit card one day. Uh, my dad had a business, a collision center, and so he would charge large amounts of money onto this business credit card. And I figured in my mind, if I just subsequently just charged uh, or sequentially just charged money on his account, little here, little, little there, he wouldn't catch me. And it worked for three months until finally my mom figured it out. She called me on the phone. And this is where another crucial part of my life, my mom calls me and says, your father found out about what you did. I'm disappointed don't ever come to our house again. Now, if you know anything about a, a, an Italian family or a close tight knit family, you know that uh, we're very close together. We're, 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 we're a communal family. And for my mom to say, don't ever come to this house again, 
that's a big deal, right? And so basically I hung the phone up and I said, mom, I don't want you. I don't need you anymore. Never did. And I took the little bit of money I had left and I, I spent it and I lived in hell basically through that time. But here's the thing I want to say, and let me just kind of pull over and park because those listening uh, are saying, Robbie, this is me. Like I've got a family member. I've got, I've got uh, a son or a daughter. I have a, a neighbor Whenever you have, and this is interesting to think about, Billy, whenever you have a perpetual drug addiction in the life of a person, you can always trace it back to an enabler, okay? And I've counseled families for 16, 17 years, and I've seen this in every case. Normally, the enabler is a mom. In my case, it was my dad. You see, my mom was tough as nails. She lost her, her, her mom at 11. She had to raise her three brothers as a kid. And so she was really tough. In fact, today we affectionately call her the warden, which is, uh, we say that with love, right? But, but she was tough as nails. But here's the thing. She saved my life because by her calling and cutting me off, it created a bottom for me. See, an addict will always find another avenue to get help. And so they'll find an enabler and an an enabler is someone who feels like they're helping them. So I just want to speak to those listening who you may be the enabler. You feel like you're helping your loved one, but actually by you continuing to perpetuate that drug addiction, you're leading to either one of three avenues for them, jail, institution, or death. And my mom cut me off. And here's the thing. I I came up with this line, and I I want to give this to you because this has helped me uh, counsel so many parents. Here's the line. If you keep being their savior, Jesus never can be. Mm. And think about that. Mm. Like if if they could turn to you, why in the world are they going to turn to Jesus? If they could turn to dad, why would they ever give their life to Christ? And by my mom exercising tough love to me, it ultimately saved my life when, since 1999, I have lost 15 close friends to drug and alcohol-related deaths. 15. And I've asked the question. Wow. 15 friends. And I'm not talking like casual acquaintances. I'm talking about guys I live with, guys I party with. Most of the guys in the book I talk about, I changed all the names, obviously, out of respect. But most of the guys in the book died. Uh, and so... The reason I think it happened is because my parents were able to stand up and really cut me off, and it saved my life. Well, and it's crazy because when that show Intervention, I don't know if it's still on, but it was always, you know, the counselors would always say, you have to make this person hit rock bottom. And you'd see the family members struggle to do that. I used to watch it, and I, and I was captivated by that struggle because, like you were saying, you assume as a parent that you have to keep helping and stepping in. And, and sometimes pulling away is going to be what actually helps somebody because, it, like in your case, it forces you to hit a rock bottom. So what what for you, and maybe there was more than one rock bottom, and I know you talk about this in the book, but what was the big rock bottom for you that led you to a life change? Yeah, so it was th- that ultimately didn't lead to ultimate change. When I went to rehab after that. I, I begged my parents after a three-month stand of losing it all, begged my parents to take me back in. They put me in rehab. I came back. I felt like I was invincible. Man, I'm not going to mess up. And I hurt my back again. And so I went back to the same doctor, got back on the same medication, started the whole cycle again. And what finally did it for me was this. I got to the place where I was so sick and tired of being addicted and so sick and tired of this upward. I mean, this is the life of an addict, okay? And this is what happens to 
Once you take any kind of medication for any extended period of time, you're not getting high anymore. You're just taking the medication to get normal. So every day you wake up, you're trying to score, in a sense, drugs just to be normal. And so and what happens is you, you don't always find the drugs and the dealer's out or the supply runs dry or you go through them too quickly. And so what happens is you go through this vicious cycle of withdrawals. And I tell people, I think I talk about this in the book, the human body was never meant to experience that kind of pain. I mean, just excruciating withdrawals from heroin and cocaine, excruciating. And I would do this over and over, and I simply just got tired of it. And here's what happened. After the second rehab treatment, I came back to my house, and I remembered what a friend in college told me seven years before about Jesus. Now, as the Lord would have it sovereignly, of all colleges that God would send me to to play basketball— he would send me to a Southern Baptist college of all things. You know, so here's a Roman Catholic on the campus of a Southern Baptist college. And for those who don't know what that means, I am the target of every evangelism class on campus, right? I mean, there was a game on campus called Convert the Catholic. I was the deer in the headlights. And I heard the gospel, but I rejected it. And here's the side note, just to encourage those listening. Don't ever underestimate the power of the sown seeds of the gospel into the hardened hearts of people. God used what someone sowed in my heart many years before, seven to be exact, and he brought those seeds to fruition at a moment when I was ready to surrender. So and there was so something really that he was. said. So there was something about those words. And it is amazing. And I will I will tell you, recently somebody came to me, and I'm 36 years old now, and they said, they said to me, this is maybe a year or two ago, you know, something I said in middle school to them about God and evolution. I don't even remember what I was saying in middle school, okay? Actually helped them in their oh, wow. journey. To, and I was like, that is insane to me. I'm repeating something at the time that I'm hearing that I believed when I was a kid, you know? And so to hear you say that, it's so interesting. I, I hear these stories all the time. There was something in those words, and I would imagine that at the moment you heard it, maybe it didn't mean as much, but it came back to you in the middle of this difficult time. That's incredible to me. Yeah. Yeah, and, and here's another thing, too. I mean, God never wastes a hurt. And so you, you think of these times of your life where your, your life falls apart and, and you've blown it. God even uses the hurts in our life to bring it to, you know, for his good and his glory and our good as well. So I would just encourage those listening. Maybe you're thinking, that's me. I've blown my whole life. <laughs> like I'm an addict or uh, I've had a past or I'm presently in addiction. My encouragement to you, if that's where you are, if you're listening, is uh, if there's breath, there's hope. Uh, and if there's life, there's, there's opportunity. I mean, God can change. Here's what I know from my life. God can change and do more in a moment in your life than anybody can ever manufacture in a lifetime. Like literally, the God of heaven can do more in a moment and change your life and put you on a new trajectory if you truly surrender to him. And one of the things is he uses all of our past hurts and he uses all of our shame and all of our guilt and all the past uh, issues of our life. And he brings that into a message that we can use to bring people to him. And so I, I just want to encourage those listening because you feel like, man, I've wasted my whole life or I've blown it. No, God uses all that to, to, to refine. I tell people suffering doesn't define you. Suffering refines you. And it makes you stronger. It makes you better. Hmm. Yeah, and and that's so true. I think I think we actually in today's culture we 
and nobody wants to suffer, right? So we do everything we can to avoid it. But I think because it's so hyper me focused right now that we don't really see the value that can come in the midst of that sometimes, even when it's something we haven't wanted to happen to us something that just emerges in our lives, that there's something to learn there. So for you, I know that the the date, I believe it was November 12th, 2002, when you were when you were saved out of drug addiction, what happened in the wake of that? Yeah, I mean, I'd come home from treatment. Uh, I was literally, I, I'd love to say, I mean, in hindsight, I'd love to say, man, I understood all the tenets of soteriology and salvation, or I could parse out all the different views of eschatology. I knew none of that, okay? I didn't even read the Bible before this. I simply remembered the gospel message I heard seven years before, and here's what I did. I went to my room, and I got on my knees, and, I, and it wasn't in a church service. It wasn't in a revival service. I got on my knees, and here's what I tell people I did. I took as much of Jesus as I knew, and I took as much faith as I had, and I put it in him. And I didn't have all the answers, and I didn't, I didn't even know what the questions were. <laughs> but I knew that I was a sinner. I knew that Jesus could, could, was the only one who could save me. And I told the Lord this. I said, God, if, you're, if you save me, I will do two things. Number one is this. I'm going to surrender my life to you completely. So this isn't like raise a hand, walk an aisle. This is like I'm all in. And secondly, I will not be ashamed to tell the world about what you did. And that day, November 12th, I had this 24-hour radical Paul-like conversion. It was so radical. The next day, I went to my dad, and I said, Dad, God's called me to preach. Wow. The next, the next dad, day? Said, the next day. The next day, man. Listen, this is the craziest thing. It doesn't happen this way for a lot of people, but it happened for me. So my dad, think about this. Here's my dad on the recliner. He's, he's Roman Catholic, and he doesn't have a category for what I just told him. <laughs> and he's like, son, he's like, what do you smoke? You know, like, what are you on? And he asked the question. He's like, how are you going to get married by being a priest in a monastery? I'm like, dad, I'm not going to be a priest. You know, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm not going to do that. And he didn't know what God was doing, and certainly I didn't know what God was doing. But here's what happened. I wandered for the next eight months. I didn't know how to read the Bible. I didn't know how to pray. I would go to church here and there, but I didn't, I didn't know what to do. And then I'm at church one Sunday, Edgewater Baptist Church, Paris Avenue, middle of New Orleans, Louisiana, and a seminary student who looked very young back then by the name of David Platt <laughs> comes across <laughs> one Sunday. And for those who don't know, David's the author of a book called Radical. And We just Pastor had him on the podcast. We just had oh, him on the podcast. Okay, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, you guys, well, you just go. a couple yeah. episodes ago. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, so David was just a seminary student back then. And David said, hey, man, do you want to meet once a week to study the Bible, memorize Scripture, and pray? I said, David, I'd love to. He said, pray about it. I said, I already have. When do we meet? And, man, for the next two years, we met every week, twice a week. We started over General So's Chicken at the Chinese restaurant. We went to the Italian restaurant for pizza. And then eventually David said, you need to go to seminary. I went to seminary. I became his assistant. I traveled the current, the country. I went around the world with him. And I tell people, because they ask me, what was it like to be discipled by David Platt? And it was awesome. I'm telling you, I mean, we, we studied the finer tenets of, you know, soteriology and justification and salvation. We did all that, but I can't remember any of that. i tell you what I do remember. I remember how he treated and loved his wife. I saw how he unapologetically preached the Bible. 
I, I learned and, 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 and shared with him the passion he had for memorizing scripture and getting into the word and so the word got into him. And so I tell people, I learned more watching David emulate what he would expect from me than I ever learned from him communicating what he taught to me. And that's really why I'm so passionate about discipleship even today. That's powerful. That and that's yeah, it speaks to his his character and the and it's amazing you had a chance to be discipled by him and so that set you on your journey and then you become a pastor. You know that calling you had the day after. I mean, now you were a senior pastor and it's just incredible to he, to see that story and and I want to encourage people to grab a copy of Recovered How an Accident, Alcohol and Addiction Led Me to God because I think so many of us you know, struggle with different things. It may not even be addiction. And we're looking for that that hope and that change. You know, we're trying to figure out how to navigate that. There's so many people probably even listening right now. If it's not them, as you were saying, it's a family member, it's a child, it's an aunt, an uncle, a friend. Um, so I guess I would ask you two questions. What is your message for somebody right now who is suffering from addiction and they want to get out and they're where you were before November 12th, 2002? What would you say to them? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I get asked this question a lot. I would say the number one thing I had to learn the hard way is that sobriety without Jesus Christ is always a dead-end street, meaning you can have momentary seasons of sobriety, but you'll never have long-term victory. And the reason is this, addiction, like any sin or issue in our life, has to be broken from someone outside of ourself, namely Jesus. So I, I tell people when you're in an addiction, it's kind of like being in a prison cell. And the only way out of the cell is if the person outside comes and lets you out. And so when you surrender your life to Christ, what he's doing is, is he's opening the door of the cell. He's removing the shackles from your feet of sin, and he's given you the opportunity, given you the opportunity to walk free. Now it's up to us to live in that freedom and walk in that victory, right? Because just because Jesus sets us free, doesn't make us immune from sin or immune from addiction. So I would say the first step is surrender your life to Christ. Number two, the second step is you have to have a form of accountability in your life. Uh, sometimes that comes in the form of celebrate recovery, which is what we offer here at Long Hollow, an amazing ministry we have. Uh, it could be a discipling relationship. It could be somebody in your church or life group, but you have to have someone hold you accountable to do the things you are professing that you want to do. So I would say that's the two main things I would do uh, if I'm if I'm where I was years before. When you when you look at your life now and you look at what God's done, I mean, what what's the biggest lesson you take away from that? I just it's incredible to me. Again, like hearing you talk about where you came from and how quickly you had that you know, calling to preach like a day after, you know, and, and just that old message that you, from your friend seven years before, um, that resonated with you. When you look at that and how, where you are now, what do you take away from that? Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a neat, neat question. I talk about in the book right after I got saved, I, I preached my first sermon literally six to eight weeks later. And, uh, I didn't know how to preach, but I learned how to, I, as a kid, I learned magic tricks or card tricks. And so uh, I talk about that in the book, how I start doing this and God opens the door to preach. So what I tell, what I want people to know, and I communicate this really through my story. And here's the big thing. When you're down to nothing, God's always up to something. Hmm. And sometimes we can't see because we're looking in the visible natural realm, 
But God is working behind the scenes in the supernatural, invisible realm to bring things together. One of the things I know about God is he's never in a rush, but he's always on time. And so what I mean is he's never on our time because we want things to happen, but God's never in a rush to do much. In fact, the only time in the Bible where we see God as a picture of of a father in a rush is when a repentant sinner comes home in the story of the prodigal son. But outside of that, I mean, think about it, Bill. He's never in a rush. Uh, The Israelites wandered for 40 years. Uh, Abraham has to wait 25 years before his son comes. Jesus puts off his public ministry for 30 years, right? So I just want people to, to be encouraged that God works in the waiting room, right? Like some of you may be in the waiting room, I call it now, waiting for God to work or waiting for God to move. Don't ever underestimate what God can do in the waiting, because sometimes he works the best in the waiting. I love that. That is powerful. Where can people find out more about you and your ministry and Recovered? Yeah, I mean, you can go to our—I have a ministry website called replicate.org. I have a ministry of disciple-making there. You can follow me on Twitter, rgality, my my last name. And then I think you could buy uh, Recovered online, Amazon, Lifeway. I think uh, any bookseller will have it. Well, listen, this has been great. we got to have you back on the show again, and, and good luck with the book, and thanks for sharing your story. Man, thanks for having me. It's been great. We'll be right back with more of the Pure Flix podcast. Did you know you can access thousands of entertaining and inspiring faith and family-friendly TV shows, movies, and original series? It's simple. Just log on to pureflix.com right now to start your free one-month trial. From kids' content to some of the most uplifting films, we've got your entire family covered. Sign up today. And we're back with more of the Pure Flix podcast. Welcome back to the Pure Flix Podcast. I am Billy Hollowell, and that was Robbie. He is a fascinating, fascinating preacher. His story is incredible. I think so many times we fail to see the value in our own stories, and so I always love getting to talk to people who actually see where they were before they found Christ and where Christ brought them. And in the case of Robbie, you've got a pastor now whose entire life is dedicated to inspiring other people for the gospel. He has totally turned from the life that he had, and only Jesus can do that. And I say that a lot on this show because it's true. I think we can overlook that. We don't always see it in our own lives, but look at your own story and reflect on where God has taken you. Maybe you're at a place where you need to actually be taken to the other side. You need to be brought over to faith. I think so many of us can take away from his story the lesson that if we put our faith in Christ— anything is possible, that we can become new creations entirely by just putting our faith in Him and accepting that He came, He died for us, and He has died for our sins and transformed the world through that sacrifice. And that is something we reflect on a lot at Christmas time when we when we discuss Jesus's birth. And so I just wanted to reflect on that a little bit and really grateful that Robbie came on the show today. Now, I want to shift gears a little bit because there's some really exciting things happening over at Pure Flix. We have the opportunity here to give you the chance to actually have a voice in creating great content. And so I want to bring Michael Scott, our CEO at PureFlix, onto the show today to talk a little bit about the history.
history of Pure Flix, how we got where we are, and the really fun and exciting things that are happening, including our lifetime membership. And so you get a chance to get a little peek behind the curtain like you did last week when we had David A.R. White on. Now you get a chance to hear from Michael. So with no further ado, let's bring Michael Scott on the show today. Hey, Michael, how's it going today? It's going great. I'm excited. It's just coming off the Thanksgiving holiday, and it's been it was nice to get a little rest and relaxation. I know, I know. It's always hard. It's always hard jumping back in, but there's a lot of exciting stuff happening right now at Pure Flix. So there's a lot to jump back into. Uh, before we get into some of the new things that are happening here, I wanted to I wanted to go back a little bit because Pure Flix has been around for a while now, and I know some fans might not actually know a quick history of the, of how Pure Flix came to be. So is that, I'm sure there's a lot of details, but is there, is there kind of a quick version you could tell us of how Pure Flix came to be founded? Yes, absolutely. You know, it, it's been around for almost 15 years. We started it in 2005 and it really started as I, I my background was all in advertising. I did tons of stuff from car commercials to Apple things to uh Yokiero Taco Bell and the dog and all those things. And what I realized was the power of media. You could go out there and you could sell a taco, a car, or any of these types of things. But I said, man, we're not using this for the kingdom. And and to be able to proclaim the the good message of of the Bible out there. And um, so in 2005, uh, I left all the advertising behind. and We started PureFlix with the vision to influence the global culture for Christ through media. And that originally took form in we wanted to go out and do some movies. And we started doing movies. We created a couple movies, took them out. They did really well. And that led into several more movies. And then each year it kept building until about 2010. We were probably making 10 plus movies a year. And then also at the same time, we started helping other producers that were out there to distribute their movies. And we started putting in 20, 30 movies a year into the marketplace. And we saw incredible results. And people's lives changed. And that led us into saying a lot of our movies early on might have been smaller movies, direct-to-video, or made for television. But then we started to say we want to really make more impact, have more more of a um, – just more people to expose to the type of faith-forward content that we produce. We started to move into the theatrical side of movies. And then we had a big hit, God's Not Dead, um, that came out in 2014, and that really propelled us to do multiple theatrical movies such as Case for Christ, God's Not Dead 1, 2, and 3, Samson. Um, and then we helped other people like Woodlawn and Same Kind of Different as Me and and Do You Believe. There was just a host of movies that we've been doing, um, and we saw some incredible results. And we've seen our movies have now been seen by over 500 million people wow. around the globe. And I always say it's incredible because when someone gets into a theater – they're captivated by that screen for two hours, and it gives us a chance to impact their lives. And we've seen people come to the Lord. We've seen lives change. We've seen people uh, struggling with different things get the answers that they need. And it's just been an incredible, credible journey. But that also, the movies have been wonderful. But one of the things that we saw that was so important, we felt, was that people across America and across the world, frankly, are um, watching television quite a bit. They're watching it on their mobile device or when people come home at night, that TV goes on at five o'clock and it'll go right through the dinner hour up until 10 p.m., 11 p.m. till they go to sleep. And we said, if we want to continue to make a difference and see things going on, that's when we launched our streaming platform. And it's basically 
uh, a platform that you can go on pureflix.com and get it. And it's you can watch. We have over 10,000 titles, and you can watch it at any time on any device anywhere uh, that you want um, and be able to stream it. And it's been an incredible, incredible experience. We've streamed over 70 million hours of content on that service, and we're seeing lives changed every day from the content that's going over that. So I'm just being thankful that God's been able to use the, the vision that he gave us to help impact people all over the world. Well, and it's pretty amazing, too, because, you know, PureVox has been ahead of the game in this arena with, with streaming. You know, a lot of people are just jumping into streaming now, and yet, you know, you guys, you know, we kind of started with the films and then moving into the streaming piece. I think that that's incredibly um, fascinating. And $70 million, that is that is a massive number, and it's meeting a demand and a need that people have in their homes, on their tablets, on their devices for right. for this kind this kind of content. Um, so let's talk about that a little bit. You know, what do you think it is that drives that interest in what PureFlix has to offer, and how does it differ from some of the other streaming platforms out there? I always say just take a little challenge. Go turn on your Netflix or your Hulu or your Amazon Prime and watch – five different shows for three or four minutes each and then turn on pure flicks and do the same thing. Watch three or four or five different shows and watch a few minutes of each and you will immediately see the difference. You know, I, I can't go on Netflix without being bombarded by some sort of graphic violence, some sort of really uh, sexual content language, all these things. And those are the things you're not going to find on, on uh, pure flicks. In addition to that, you're also getting a message on PureFlix that's biblically based. Uh, a lot of the content on there has incredible things that you can learn from, whether it's your kids, whether it's for your, um, your young adults, or if you're an adult, we have tons of content for everybody. And I think that is the primary difference. It's a safe place to consume um, content, and we're seeing that in the responses. It, 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 this uplifts your spirit instead of pushing it down and getting into a dark place that a lot of content out there, movies and television bring you to. Yeah. And that, and I mean, really it's, it seems to be ramping up, right. That negative content. And yet this is a place where people can come to find that fulfilling right. and inspiring content. I think, I think that that's the most incredible piece of the puzzle that's been lacking for so long. Now, one of the cool things that's happened is there, there are a couple of things happening, but there's kind of a new direction. There's, there's a lifetime membership, which is a really great opportunity. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, right now you can sign up for annual or monthly, but just recently we launched our new lifetime membership program. Uh, it's a thousand dollar donation. And um, why, why do we have a lifetime program? What is it for is really, it's important because we want to be able to allow you and your family to stream content for the rest of your lives, but, but also getting involved in the lifetime membership. It allows us to create better content. It allows us to further the mission to get this not only to more people in the U.S., but eventually to more people around the world. And we really think that media is a, is a, that media can be used as the megaphone for the gospel, and we need to be out there on the forefront. And in order to do that, we need each and every member's support, and becoming a lifetime member allows us to do that. It allows us to transform lives. And in fact, it's not us transferring lives because when you become a lifetime member, it's you out there on the front lines with us, your, your, your dollars put to work 
to help bring the gospel around the world. And so we've seen uh, people sign up from all different parts of the United States, and we want to continue uh, to offer that program so that you can get involved um, with us. And so we're thankful for all of our lifetime members we have now, and we hope that anybody's listening that you would consider becoming that lifetime member with us and join with us in the fight to kind of take back this realm of media. Yeah, one of the things that, that I think it's helpful to hear, and so I want to ask you this because I think people don't realize what goes into making a TV show or a movie, and yet so many people in, in our world, they want this content. They want family content. They want faith content. And can you just tell us, it's another loaded question, but but what goes into that from start to finish just to help people understand how much effort it takes to actually put a project like The Encounter together, for instance? Yeah, it's a process. You know, it all starts with the fundamental phase of the writing. You got to have really great writing. And so that takes time to write those stories or that script if it's a movie or um, it takes time to get that right and flush it through. And, you know, a lot of times when I wasn't familiar with the movies or my parents, you know, we originally thought, oh, it's just a couple guys out there with the camera and they go shoot and, you know, and then put it up. Well, it's it's literally, I almost call it like an army. It's like the invasion of Normandy. You bring a hundred plus people to a set, you know, you got actors, you got camera people, you got, they call grip and electrics, people setting up the lights and, and, and all of these different departments from makeup and hair and everything to be able to create this, um, the story that you're laying out or the TV series that you're laying out. And so it takes an enormous amount of effort. It typically takes about anywhere from six months to a year for a series or a movie um, from start to finish to get to the platform. And after it's, you have all of this pre-production, which they, you kind of like lay out your plan, you do all your builds, get everything ready, get all your actors practicing their lines, uh, figure out all the lighting. And then you go into the physical production where everybody's now actually we're creating the show. And then after it's done, you got to go to the next phase, which is the editing phase where you edit these shows. And then you got to put music to these shows. And then you got to what we call treat the footage or color, color, use color. They call it color, colorize that you basically retransform the look of the footage, clean it all up and everything like that. And then it's all packaged and then brought to the platform itself. And so it's a step-by-step process that takes a long time to do it. And so I, I always say anybody that's made a movie out there, my hat's off to them because it is a difficult, um, uh, almost war to get something done um, in the thing. Because you also, you take a, a lot of different people, a hundred different people from different walks of life, um, and you bring them together and you all start working 12, 14, 15 hours uh, a day for six days a week. So it creates a lot of, uh, of, of uh, things that you got to work through to get to the end product. But at the end of the day, it's always so, uh, when you go to see that final screening and see it at the premiere or something like that, to realize all the hard work that people have put in. And then what's even the, the, the greatest thing is to see the fruit that comes from that, the lives that are impacted from all that hard work. And so it's a process to say the least. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I think that's so important for people to understand. And one of the fun elements of, of what is happening at PureFlix is that there's a chance to kind of have a voice in creating entertainment for those who, who partake in the Lifetime membership. Do you want to speak to that at all? Yeah, so we're going to be start offering uh, for you guys to get some feedback on projects that we have to say, 
what more would you like to see come to the platform? The projects that we are doing, what would you like to see in them? And so we're going to create some environments there for our lifetime members to actually interact, get involved a little bit further that will allow you to have a say in, in what you want to see and what you want the, ultimately the world to see too from PureFlix. So we're super excited. We want to hear from you guys on um, what what is the shows that really you think are going to impact you and your family. So my my final question for you, because we've covered a lot here in the last you know 10 to 15 minutes, what what is your biggest hope for the streaming service? If you could look ahead five years from now, what do you want to see PureFlix do? I think for me, we want to continue, we want you as members um, or people, if you're not a member, jump on board. We want to see hundreds of thousands, millions of users come on board with us because the more users we get, the more content we can create and the better content we can create. And if we do that, then with you, we will impact the world for Christ through media. And I think that's so important. And I'm not only talking here in the U.S., in the years to come, we want to expand all across the globe to have that global footprint where this media that's going out, that's encouraging, uplifting your spirit and speaking directly to you is, is be able to be available for everybody in the world. And so my hope is that you continue to enjoy this and you stay with us partners long-term by continuing to subscribe monthly, yearly, or lifetime membership so that we can impact the world together. Well, Michael, thanks so much for for talking to us about the history of PureFlix and what what we're doing now. I really appreciate it. Yes, thanks so much for having me today, Billy. I appreciate it. And that brings us to the end of the PureFlix podcast. So much amazing stuff going on here at PureFlix and on this podcast. If you've been listening and you're a fan, please share on social media. Let other people know they can subscribe. They can head over to anchor.fm slash Podcast. We're on iTunes. You know the drill. We're all over the place. Pretty much every single podcast platform out there. So check it out. Subscribe. Tell your friends, your family. Share the episodes and head over to insider.pureflix.com for more daily inspiration content. Tune in next week for another episode of the PureFlix podcast. That's all for today's podcast. You can follow PureFlix on Facebook at facebook.com slash PureFlix and on Twitter at PureFlix. And be sure to log on today to pureflix.com for your free month of access to thousands of faith and family friendly movies and TV shows. Thanks for listening to the Pure Flicks Podcast.